Genesis 15, verses 1 through 7. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, Anglican. Uh, <laughs> how is everyone this morning? Everyone doing well? Um, it's always such a pleasure. I mean, it really was a highlight of my year last year to come and share with you. And your response as a community just really spurred me on and how everyone gave me a standing ovation. And, you know, it just, it, you know, I'm out there and sharing my testimony. I have a book, A War of Loves, The Unexpected Story of a Gay Activist Discovering Jesus. And you can imagine that that can be a difficult place and a difficult story to share for some people. Um, and, it, you know, coming to this church where I just feel this passion and enthusiasm to just be a disciple and make that the center of everything, that is just, I can't tell you how encouraging it is sometimes in the current environment we're in, um, where people seem to want to make other things their ultimate identities. And so today I won't be sharing a lot from my testimony. I'll drop a few things in. But if you weren't there and you didn't... Um, maybe get it. I think it's on the website um, when I shared last year. And also the book will be available next week, I think. It's coming in. So I want to share with you this morning a revelation that God gave me in the scriptures about where to anchor our identity in Christ. And, you know, for me, the mystery of my sexuality as a same-sex attracted or gay person who's given that to Christ in celibacy and is open, maybe in one day I'll be in a mixed orientation marriage to a woman, God will give me that grace, I don't know. But I'm happy to just walk in absolute assurance that God will bless me, like Abraham in that verse. Abraham couldn't have children. That was the worst thing in his society at the time. You were worthless. You were looked down upon if you couldn't have kids. And being same-sex attracted or gay in our society has often been like that. In the church, it's like, what good could come out of that? And actually, what I love about the way that God saved me in a pub in central Sydney at the age of 19 when I was an atheist and I hated Christianity and I wasn't looking for God, but I was looking for love when he came into my life in that place, he was doing the Abraham thing. He was taking what shouldn't be in people's religious mindset, blessed and blessed it. What is rejected in society and said, I'm going to use that. Um, and so I love that at the base of this message that I'm going to share with you, there is this paradox of what is weak is what God uses. What is rejected is what is 
accepted and used, and glory is brought through. The rejected Messiah is the king of glory. So I want you guys to get that upside-down logic as we think about faith, anchoring our identity in Christ. Faith and sexuality is what I've named this. And so for me, I think the question of faith really does relate to sexual identity, which has become a popular idol in our culture. Um, For Abraham's culture, it was having kids and being seen as prosperous and a power that could protect itself. And um, Jesus says to the disciples, pick up your cross, follow me, leave everything behind adopt a new identity as my disciple. But that doesn't mean there isn't going to be weakness. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly transformed. It means you're in a process towards God in faith. And I remember having this amazing revelation that I was justified by faith and that it was a complete gift. And whether I had same-sex desires or not had absolutely actually nothing to do with it. God just gave it to me. And nothing could steal that justification. I was made right with God. You can read Romans, you know, to look into that. And yet I was, that faith called me into a radical obedience where I gave everything back to God at the same time. And so I was always boasting in the faith I'd received. And I thought, wow, you know, my faith is amazing, you know, and the faith I have with God. And I thought it was all about our faith that we'd been given. And I'd forgotten the foundation for that faith. And I think if you want to understand discipleship, you've got to first understand what allowed that faith to credit righteousness to us, like with Abraham. Or you get into the wrong understanding. It becomes all about you, your life, your desires, whether God blesses you or not, me, 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 my sexual identity, (laughs) instead of him. And I had to go through a fundamental reorientation of my understanding of who God was and who I was. So the biblical solution to identity is a fundamental reorientation so that rooting yourself in trust of God is the center of who you are, not the trust of other goods that are only momentary like sexuality. So 10 years, I was actually at this point about about seven or eight years on from me being saved in that pub as an atheist. God had taken me on this crazy journey to study at the University of Oxford, and uh, I was being trained as an apologist by Ravi Zacharias International Ministries in Oxford, where I'm also now doing my PhD in ethics and theology. And I was doing a post, an alpha post-discipleship uh, where I was raising up new Christians, doing discipleship with them, teaching them, and I met this lady called Antonia Freshwater Edwards. Lovely, I do say. Shall we have some tea? And Antonia Freshwater Edwards was the poshest person I've ever met in Oxford. And she's like, oh, I do quite like the way you talk about faith, David. I do quite like how you talk about the Bible. Could we please meet at the cafe and have a little flat white together? And you can just teach me every week a bit of scripture. And I was like, yes, I'd love that. Um, she divulged to me that she was actually Jewish as well. So I was even more excited. I was like, let's start in the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> I'm going to show you like the faith of your forefathers. And she's like, oh, lovely. I love it. Yes, please. So we sit down and I open my Bible and... 
she's like, and I, I get to this story about Abram, and I'm like, Abram's faith was amazing. It's the same faith that we've received in Christ, justified by faith. This is amazing. Like, this is the faith you've received. You're the most Jewish Jew you could ever be by receiving this faith of Abraham in Christ that has saved you. Wow. And I'm like sharing this with her and suddenly the Holy Spirit's like, ding, ding. I'm like, excuse me? You have no idea what you are talking about. It's like, Lord, I am teaching the scriptures. Like, this is true. I, can you please, but I am God. Oh, oh that's right. Yes, Lord. Um, excuse me, Antonio Freshwater Edwards. I'm just going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Oh, lovely. I'm in, the, I'm in the toilet having my, like, Luther moment going, what are you on about, God? Like, why have you interrupted me in the middle of me teaching this wonderful, posh Oxford student about faith? He says, I want you to go home, and I want you to look up the word for faith to believe in, in Hebrew. I want you to go and look it up in the Hebrew encyclopedia. So I go home. Um, I say goodbye to Antonia, and I'm sitting there on my bed with this kind of open, and I look it up, and it's like, okay, to support, confirm, be faithful, uphold, nourish, be a foster father, a foster mother, a nurse, pillars in a temple, supporters of the door of the temple, faithful, carried, make firm, to establish, lasting, verified, confirmed, reliable, trusty, to be certain, to believe in, stand firm, trust, believe. These are the kind of all the different places this word appears. And what's interesting is when we say amen, we're actually saying aman. Through all the languages in Greek, and it's, it's become amen. When we say that at the end of something, we're actually using this same root word, believe in, trust, support. And so I, I'm amazed. And then I keep reading through in the Enci Jewish encyclopedia, and then it says the etymology of this word is from the Hebrew tent-dwelling kind of method of establishing a tent. And so when you would build a tent, you would have to find a firm place that could not be moved in a storm. And if you didn't find this firm place, your tent would fall over and everything would be ruined. This is like the most important thing for the Hebrews to find in their context. And it meant to find this firmness, this steadfastness that just could not be moved. And I thought about my own faith, and I was like, my faith's not like that. There's days where I'm just completely not trusting God. <laughs> and I'm sinning, and I'm gossiping, and I'm doing all sorts of other things. I've, you know, got these other desires which aren't good. How is my faith like that? My faith is not steadfast. And suddenly, like, as I'm thinking about this concept, I see this old man. Well, I actually saw this before I looked it up, but I saw this old man with a tent peg nailing this tent peg into the ground and then saw this in the etymology and was amazed. And I felt the Holy Spirit ask me to look up Isaiah 22. So I had so much faith that I read you know, two-thirds of the passage and didn't see anything about faith or tent pegs in it, just discarded it and closed my Bible. And the Holy Spirit rebuked me, said, you don't trust me. I told you to read the whole chapter. Read Isaiah 22. I'm like, yes, Lord. It was really quite a sassy moment for me. I've never had the Holy Spirit do this, and I really loved it. Anyway, so, 
so much sass. Anyway, so I'm there and I go, Lord, okay, Lord, I'll read again, I'll read again, I'll go to the end. As you get to the end of Isaiah 22, if you have your Bibles, maybe open up to there and read it with me. It says, I will drive him like a tent peg into a firm place. He will be a seat of honor for the house of his father, and they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups of all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place, Amman, will give way, and it will be cut down and fall, and the load that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken." When I read this, I suddenly realized that this is talking about Jesus Christ, that this is a prophecy of the cross. And suddenly the cross flashed up in my mind and I saw the father nailing the son into the ground on the cross, the nails, the tent pegs going into his arms and feet. And I suddenly realized that this is not about my faith. It's not about my identity, that Abraham's faith wasn't really the point. It was because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ on the cross that any of us are righteous. That if you're gay, straight, black, white, Jew, Gentile, male, female, any part of humanity, it's Jesus's faithfulness that made your faith viable. And that meant that you're now declared righteous. And this flipped everything upside down in my head. When I thought about identity and my sexuality, suddenly it was, I need to live this out in response to this incredible faithfulness, this cross, the father taking the tent peg and nailing it into the ground. So then I'm at work the next day, and I have this colleague, and she's like, I'm reading the Old Testament. I just hate the Old Testament. It's so violent. There's so much wrath. Like, who wants to read that? Ugh. You know, I just love the New Testament. Jesus, give me that. Like, you know, I'm like, I get the Old Testament is important, but ugh. And I'm like, no. I mean, it's amazing. The Holy Spirit's just taking me through the whole test Old Testament. I love it. And she's like, but what about that passage, you know, Yael, when she takes the tent peg and she just rams it through the head of Sisera? I mean, that's just so horrible and violent. And I'm like, oh my gosh, tent peg. I just have this revelation in that moment. I'm like, this is all through the Bible. Oh my, this is a little divine conspiracy in the Bible. And if you get that, the verses up from Judges, um, I think, four, but Yael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and he died. Okay, that's pretty violent. And on the surface, you're like, gross. How can violence be part of God's plan? Well, Evan and I talked about this. I was like, it's divine accommodation, okay? They're in this realistic world where dog-eat-dog, Philistine or Israelite, who's going to survive? And if it wasn't for the survival of the Israelites, if Yael didn't take this tin peg of faith and destroy the power of the enemy, there would be no Jesus. There would be no faithfulness and humanity would be lost. This one tiny, supposedly insignificant tent-dwelling woman becomes the greatest like, hero in the whole of Israel. She destroys the enemy so that Israel can survive and Jesus can come. And you're, if you're a woman today and you're thinking, oh, I don't really have a role in the church and I'm just, Yael, 
Yeah, yeah, L. Uh, and just then, I, like, I'm not like, can it marry? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your descendants and her descendant. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. God takes this weak, just like who cares about a tent-dwelling woman and uses that to destroy the power of Satan. And that's the God that I suddenly realize that I serve, that, that has taken the tent peg of faith and destroyed the power of the enemy from my life so I can be free to understand myself in his grace and in his mercy. How amazing is this? Most blessed woman, Biael, the wife of Heber. And this is Deborah singing, gut girls, come on. Deborah is singing this, like, glory. You know, women are important in the church. They are so the center. Most blessed of ten dwelling women, he asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the ten peg. Her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed, crushed his head. She uh, shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. Therefore he lay. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank. There he fell dead. Now, if you look at that on the surface, you're like, okay, the Old Testament is so freaking weird. But if you understand it with the eyes of the faith that had been revealed to me, it is the most incredible thing. Here is the hope of the world breaking in so that we could be saved as Gentiles, receive this hope as a gay man who hated God, was alienated. Wow. The tent peg. Jesus Christ, the cross, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ was going to save humanity. And here's the sign of it. In the midst of a society that was violent and genocidal, that wanted to destroy the Israelites, here is hope. Here is the spiritual reading of this could be that, like a spiritual warfare metaphor. And Yael's name means praise God. The praise of God taints the tent peg of faith and destroys the enemy. There we have the future reality of Jesus Christ that made Abram's faith, that made our faith worth anything, spoken about hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever came. Zechariah 10.4, I kept looking in the Bible, I was so amazed by this revelation Zechariah 10, for out of Judah shall come the cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. What about tent peg, you know? Uh, <laughs> from him the tent peg, the true tent peg will come. I was amazed. I'm like, God, why are you showing me this? What is it that you want to tell me about my own situation? Didn't answer. Next day, I'm walking in the street. The Holy Spirit shows up. I feel his presence. He says, David, what was Paul's vocation? Um, oh, my gosh. He was a tent maker. And David, what did he have in his hand that he preached to the nations? Faith. The whole of the Bible is prophetically determined around this metaphor, that Paul is a tent maker who preached Faith, Amman. The, and so then I was in, in the library and I was just searching through kind of arguments about Paul and theology and there's this big debate in Pauline theology about one little tiny phrase. Pistis, which means faith. Yesu Christu in Greek. 
And what this means is either the faithfulness of Jesus Christ or faith in Jesus Christ. And in this tiny little phrase is summed up the whole point of the gospel. That it was Jesus's faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus, that means that our faith in him has any value. And if you do not know the faithfulness of Jesus as the foundation of your identity, if any other thing is the foundation of your identity, you're going to get everything wrong. Your life is not going to be connected to the life of God. If you think your faith is wonderful and this gift and everything, and you don't first understand its origin, you're going to stray to another identity. It's only when you realize the faithfulness of Christ that you realize your faith is unlocked and unleashed to inform every area of your life. And for me as a same-sex attracted or gay man, it was giving him that and putting it under his faithfulness and saying, you alone have the right to speak into this. I don't care what any other voice is saying. I want to know what you say about this because you were that faithful to me. I can trust you. And here in this room, there may be people feel like they can't trust God. There are things in their life, there are mysteries that haven't been explained. I'm telling you, the best thing to do with mystery is to trust the one who's already proven himself to be faithful. And that trust will be transformed into the conduit for God's glory to break into the world. So when you say, amen, think about Jesus on the cross dying for you in the perfect faithfulness. That at the center of the Trinity is this ever-flowing faith and trust between three persons in one essence. Here it is in the metaphor of a tiny little insignificant tool called a tent peg. Aman, the faith of Jesus Christ. And so in my story, I was constantly told to build my identity on some other foundation, to go internally and say, here I find the answer, which is Gnosticism, as if there's something within me, my faith. I want my faith to be like this. I'm going to read this theologian and I'm going to adopt this and just construct my faith. Well, my faith, no. It's not about your faith. There is this gift, this most precious reality of God's faithfulness. That is the place to found your identity. And it was only until I really got that that I was unleashed in complete passion for God to give him my sexuality, to give him my whole life, and for that to be demoted under the lordship of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never trusted God, you've never, there's things in your world where you're like, I really need God to help me to, I can't quite give this to him. I don't, I don't understand why it's this way. My encouragement to you is tether that to the one true tent peg that will never fail. Society is constantly telling us this is the tent peg to tether yourself to. Fame, popularity, wealth, power, academic fame. You can get all of that, but if you don't have this faithfulness in your life as the center, 
you have nothing. You actually have nothing. Your life will be worthless. That's hard for us to hear because it's not about us. It is not about us. It's about him. This is the most incredible kind of love. There is nothing like this in all the earth that would go to such an extent to die on a cross, even though you reject it, even though you spit at it, even though you say, I'm better than it, still does it. Whilst we were sinners, he still died for us. This is the faithfulness that we need to make sure that no other thing competes with. We have to receive this gift so absolutely in honor and worth and value to God. He is worthy of that. He has given us everything in his son. And that's the place out of which, finally, this idolatry of romantic love was conquered in my life. Because I was tempted to go towards relationships and sex and romance as the place that I could finally find steadfastness and faithfulness in another partner. And I'm telling you, no person can be that tent peg for you. No person can ultimately, absolutely, this firm place. All my boyfriends used to say to me, David, you're insatiable. <laughs> like, give me a break. <laughs> you know, I can't be whatever you want me to be for you. And I was like, I just want more love and more affection and more, and I want to desire more. And it wasn't until I found this object of desire in Jesus Christ that my whole identity was unlocked as it was really meant to be. And I want to just share a little bit. I didn't do this in the last session, but I feel I should in this session. Um, an Anglican theologian who's become really powerful for me, named Sarah Coakley, if we could get up her quote. Um, and I think we're in a time in a, the church where we have to work out the question of desire. We have these very strong desires. And you know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, our desires aren't strong enough. That's the problem. We've settled for weak desires in lust and sin and these other things. It's too weak. We need stronger desires. We need to desire God like crazy. That's what Sarah Coakley basically says is, in this quote, she says, the immense cultural anxiety that in a secular society is now accorded to sex and gender and to their contested relations can here be negotiated in a different theological light. Such an obsession, I dare to suggest, resides in the lack of God as a final point of reference. As for orientation to another modern verbal invention, what orientation could be more important than the orientation to God, to divine desire? If we could go to the next quote of hers, if we have that. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, then my only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. There is something that we're meant to desire at the foundation of who we are, right at the heart of what we make the firm place for our identity that the desire points us to. And nothing in this world, not my sexual orientation, not my gender, not my sex, only Jesus, only that truly faithful one can give me the explanation, can give me the meaning that will allow me to be freed from making that an idol 
and I can finally live in freedom of desire towards God. And she says here, the only way in which desire can be safely acknowledged and explored is if it is understood most fundamentally, first, as desire for God, and just so as capable of purification and elevation. Those desires in you that are weak and broken, my same-sex desires, they're capable of purification and elevation into friendship, into fellowship with other people that will satisfy my soul. I don't need sex to be whole. And the other option, of course, is marriage. God could give me the grace of a mixed orientation marriage with a woman if he wants to do that. I know I have lots of gay friends, and that's happened. When they've said, you are the ultimate thing. Thomas Cramner, the, the English reformer, he talks about how until our heart desire is changed, we will keep justifying whatever we want to be true to accord with the deepest desire that we hold on to. Until we really let go and submit into this faithfulness, we'll keep reading the Bible and saying, it's fine, gay marriage is fine. It's all good. God's totally fine with this. I'll just justify this according to, I'll just read into it what's actually not there. And it wasn't until I desired God more than my sexuality that I could finally see that the texts in the Bible that talked about homosexuality were actually the texts that marked my acceptance into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that idolaters, revilers, evil, horrible, horrible? Yes, it is hard to read. It's a rebuke. People that practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yes, that word, yes, you might know about that. It is actually a conjunction word that's translated from the Greek Leviticus 18. We won't go into that, but we can talk about that maybe after. But the point being that after that, it says, such as some of you were, but now you're washed and waiting. The church was full of people who made the faithfulness of Christ center that had same-sex attraction or were gay. It's full of all sorts of other people, too, that were struggling to find faithfulness in this world and couldn't find it. And so today, I want to encourage you to go deeper than the surface level or medium level or deep desires that you reference yourself to constantly. I want you to find the tent peg that goes deeper, which is desire for God, the faithfulness of Jesus revealed to you. That is where to tether your tent and to make your identity ultimate there. And everything else will be reoriented around it. And that's my story as a celibate, same-sex attracted or gay Christian. Now, I, uh, when I was praying about this session and what to do with this, this, this message that God gave me, um, I really wanted, I felt that there was a call for people also to tether their giftings to this faithfulness. And there may be many of you starting university again or jobs or things happening, and it's going to get busy. And I thought at the start of the year, to tether your gift to the church, to the tent peg of faith, to the faithfulness of Jesus, and say, I'm going to serve Jesus with the gifts he's given me. And I really felt there was a call for people who were called to be evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers, and apostles here today, that God wanted to invite people into serving him with those kingdom gifts. 
Um, sometimes we sit back in church and we might have that gift. I had the gift of prophecy and the gift of evangelism right from the beginning, but I was never given the opportunity to really exercise that in the local church, and I wish that I did do it earlier. <laughs> and so if you feel like you've just sat back and you're like, I don't know, one of the ways you can tether your faith to faithfulness, your tent to the true tent peg, is to step out in faith and say, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to be an apostle, I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to be a pastor. And some of you will know what your gift is. Some of you will have had a conversation with God, but you need refreshment. Some of you have never done that before. Um, but I just want to encourage you to do that um, because it's through that recognition in your identity that God has gifted you that you can be blessed to be a blessing and you can bring other people into this faith, into this faithfulness. The second one I thing I felt like God wanted to do, and it was actually at the start of this session, is I just felt like he wanted to release healing today. I feel like some of you have been stuck in things that have held you back. Pains, wounds, physical illnesses, things that have held you back from really trusting God and receiving that knowledge of his faithfulness. And I just feel like, you know, if you want to, when you take communion, just say, God, I receive that faithfulness um, into my body, into my soul, to my spirit. And just ask for healing in that today. And then the other one is if you're same-sex attracted or gay or there's this mystery in your life and you don't understand why you've suffered, but you know you're like, I just want to tether myself to that faithfulness. <laughs> I'm done with making anything else ultimate. If you want to do that today, like come up to the leaders. We're going to have leaders out here to pray for those gifts. Um, I don't think it really matters which leader you go to, but I particularly would like to, <laughs> to pray for evangelists or for prophets. Um, and then there's going to be other leaders, pastors and teachers, but it doesn't really ultimately matter. You can come to anyone for any gift. We'll pray for you. But I just wanted to share that message of the tent peg of faith and encourage you to go search it out in Scripture and read it for yourself and see how all through the Bible, God has incredible messages to help us understand what he's done in Jesus Christ and how it can inform our identity today. So thank you very much for listening, guys. Yeah.